Good morning. So glad that you're here to worship with us at Rivermont today. And I invite you to turn in your Bible to Daniel chapter 1. Today we begin our series on the book of Daniel. If you know much about this book, you will know that it offers a testimony from inside an exile. Where the people of God have been separated from their families, separated from their community. And they felt as though they'd been separated from the Lord. As they were in bondage in Babylon, conditions were hostile to following the Lord. And it seemed to them as though the Lord had forgotten His people. He had abandoned them to these invading foreign armies and to kings with no backbone. God, where are you? They wondered. Have you ever wondered that? God, where are you? It feels to me like you've left me to the wolves here. What am I supposed to do? How can we stand for the Lord Jesus when we feel all alone? Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Down to verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate of the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And down to verse 21. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that by your power and your might, you would open our eyes to the wonderful things you have for us today. Enable us to see Jesus, we ask it in his name. Amen. One of the best books that I've read in quite a while is the 2015 Pulitzer for Fiction winner called All the Light We Cannot See. It's by Anthony Doerr. It's a wonderful and beautiful story of two children in World War II, one French and the other German. And the story is how the lives of these two children become intertwined through the war. Werner was the German boy, and he was an orphan with a profound gift for science and technology. Even as just a young boy, he developed skill with radios. He would design them and and build them and repair them all with such ease, and every bit of it was self-taught. The potential for radio communication fascinated him. 
How people from different parts of the world could connect and dream and build things together, united through the waves in the air. Werner, as a young and tender elementary student, was noticed by the SS. And he was taken into an exclusive Hitler Youth School that sought to raise up skilled Nazi officers. And the longer Werner was in that school, the clearer it became. That this school wants to shape him to become someone different. And they wanted to shape his heart, shape his character, shape his soul. The purpose of that school wasn't simply skill development in technology, but further, the purpose was to teach these boys how to think like Nazis, act like Nazis, and love the things that would further the Reich. Specifically, what Werner developed was how to locate the positions of an enemy's illegal radio broadcasts all through the little hamlets and villages in France. And once the soldiers located this radio broadcast, other soldiers would go into the homes and not only kill the adults, but kill the children as well. And as Werner saw these things happening, he grew angry and he became more sickened at the use of technology that he developed that at one point in his life was an instrument of wonder and of education had on his watch and under his development, it became an instrument of death. And destruction. This boy was pained in his heart because he saw himself who had been assimilated. He had been gathered in and assimilated into the, into the Nazi way of life and used for purposes that were not his own. And yet as the story goes on, Werner hung on to himself through remembering his sister and the way that she loved him as if she were calling him away from the person he was becoming and calling him back to the young boy whom she had loved. It's a beautiful story. A wonderful story of redemption. And in some ways, Werner lived Daniel's story. If we look at verse 3 of our passage, King Nebuchadnezzar, after capturing Jerusalem, did what most kings in those days did. He took the best and the brightest, the noble, from their homes. He took them to Babylon and made them captive. Now, why would Nebuchadnezzar do something like that? Assimilation. He wanted to teach them, verse 4, the language of Babylon, the literature, the mythology, the the astrology, the worldview of Babylon. Why? Assimilation. He wanted the best and the brightest to become Babylonians in heart, in their character. He wanted to separate them from their people in Judah, separate them from their gods, separate them from their families, so that he could have them use their gifts and their talents to further the purposes of the gods of Babylon. That's what is behind removing the items from the temple. We saw that that the the vessels for worship were taken out of the temple. And the reason Nebuchadnezzar did that is because he wanted to communicate loud and clear that not only are you people conquered Judah, but so is your God. Your God can't protect you from me. Not only are you captive, but your God is captive too. Assimilation continued as these boys, who most commentators suggest were around 15 years old, were even given new names in an attempt to make them more fully Babylonian. Hebrew names often included the, 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 uh, the part El, which means God, or Ah, which is a shortened form of God's personal name, Yahweh. But look at verse 7. The chief of the eunuchs gave these boys names. Daniel, which in Hebrew means God is my judge, was called Belteshazzar, which means Bel, that's a Babylonian god, Bel Marduk protects my life. 
Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious, was called Shadrach. That means at the command of Aku. And that's the Babylonian moon god. Mishael means in Hebrew, who is what God is, became Meshach. Who is what Aku is. And Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped, became called Abednego. That is, servant of Nebo, the Babylonian god of wisdom. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change these boys. He wanted to assimilate them, the best and the brightest, all for the purpose of separating them from their worship, separating them from their families, separating them from their God, even naming them in mocking fashion after pagan gods. Why? Assimilation. It's like if you remember from the Borg from Star Trek, you know, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. That's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. Not only these boys, but the rest of Judah that had been taken captive wondered, God, where are you? Why are you not here for us? Why are you letting these things happen to us? Why are we, your people, carried often captive in in Babylon? Perhaps you're wondering that today in your own life. Perhaps you feel like exiled in your own Babylon, in the the pressures of your life, the the pull of your peers or the, the lure of this world that is so strong that you feel yourself being squeezed into becoming someone you don't want to be. You see the values of the kingdom of God squeezed out of you and you're becoming more and more just like the culture around us. Perhaps your Babylon is an oppressive disease or a person who abuses. And you might be saying, Lord, I feel separated from you. I feel cut off from your people. Where are you? I've been saturated by the values of this culture that aren't from you. Where are you? Friends, the answer is that God is here. And He has never left His people. Even when we struggle to see Him, even when we struggle to find Him, the resounding answer in the book of Daniel is that God is sovereignly ruling and God is with His people. One commentator suggested that the message of the book of Daniel is exactly the same in all 12 chapters. He called it parallel, progressive parallelism. And that is, it tells you the same message that God is ruling and God is with you. It's told from 12 different perspectives, 12 different facets, but the message is the same. That the Lord is here and the Lord is with us as His people. And so therefore, because God is with us, He calls us to resist that pull. Resist that assimilation and stand firm for Him because He's present and He's right here beside us. Well, how do we see that? In Daniel chapter 1. Well, the first is that we see that the Lord is present in the nations. When we look at verse 1, we see we feel like we're going to get some straight history. That Babylon was powerful and mighty, and we assume that Judah and the king Jehoiakim was no match for them. But that's not exactly how the story reads, is it? Yes, Nebuchadnezzar was powerful, and yes, Jehoiakim was a weak And leader, he was a weak king. But look again at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It was the Lord's sovereign action. The Lord sovereignly delivered his people into this pagan king's hand. This exile wasn't simply because Judah was weak and Babylon strong. It certainly wasn't because, as Nebuchadnezzar assumed, God is weak. 
But instead it was God's sovereign action. He gave His people over to Babylon. He sent His people into exile. Why did He do that? Well, in Leviticus 26 and Isaiah 39 and 2 Kings 20, all state that repeated rebellion and faithlessness among God's people would be met with them being scattered to the wind. They would be sent into exile. God sent them there to chasten His people. But here's the thing to hang on to. Nebuchadnezzar thundered that the fate of God and His people go together. He thought that He had conquered them. That's why He humiliated the Lord by plundering His temple of its vessels in verse 2. He's saying, God, you can't protect your own house and you can't protect your people. You and your people together captured by me. But Nebuchadnezzar got it wrong. Because our faithful God was willing to be shamed in front of Nebuchadnezzar in order to wake his people from all of their spiritual slumber. He sent them into exile in order to pursue their hearts. For them to feel the weight of their sin, the weight of their idolatry. He would chasten them and woo them back to him. God sent them into Babylon so that he might lay hold of their hearts once more. And we, his people... You have to know we are so valued by the Lord that He pursues you and me into those dark places of our lives too. He pursues us into those places where we feel in exile and He calls us back through His grace. The Lord comes after us. He chases us down when we are imprisoned in our own Babylon. We have here in the first chapter of Daniel hints of the incarnation of Jesus. The one who enters into a toxic world to chase down his people, to lay hold of us and save us and snatch us from the, the, the penalty and, the, and the, 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 perse- the, the persecution of Babylon, our own Babylon. Think of how Philippians 2 puts it. The Son of God didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took the form of a slave making himself nothing, and he saves us by his humiliation, even humiliation on a cross. In Daniel 1, God was willing to have his temple defiled. In Philippians 2, God was even willing to have his son defiled and humiliated as a common criminal on the cross. All as the means to being faithful to coming after you and me. That He would lay hold of us, grab us in our own Babylons, grab us in our exile, and save us. God is faithful to His promise to chase us down and wake us to the dangers of our rebellion and our idolatry. What incredible measures God is willing to take to come after us and save us. That measure took Jesus to the cross to rescue us from our Babylon. But Daniel and his friends were captive in that pagan land. And yet God shows them and He shows us that they didn't go there alone. He was present with them. He was present among the nations that He might lay hold of His people's hearts. That's why verse 21 of this chapter is so critical. And it's so beautiful. It simply reads, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now keep in mind that Daniel was probably about 15 years old when he was taken at about 605 B.C. And Cyrus became king of Persia in 538. About 70 years near about. Why does Daniel give us that history lesson of about 70 years that he was there? Well, two reasons. First, 
powerful Nebuchadnezzar didn't survive, did he? Cyrus, the king of Persia, came in to to dethrone him, to attack and, and defeat Nebuchadnezzar, the one who was so great and powerful, the one who was more powerful than Israel's God, was thrown down by little King Cyrus of Persia. But guess who remained? Daniel and Daniel's God. You see, through the changing powers and the changing governments, God's man stood firm because God is faithful. And for you and me, we have to realize that kingdoms and empires will rise and fall. Nations will will, will swell in, in promise and then they will be cast down. But it is the Lord who always stands to preserve His people. Even here, our own nation will one day fall. And yet the Lord will remain firm. The Lord will have His people stand. The second reason Daniel gives us this history lesson It's because the first year of King Cyrus' reign was the year that the exiles started coming back home. When God's people wondered, God, where are you? His answer was, I'm right there with you. I'm standing beside you among the nations. God went with them and He preserved them all the way to the point of bringing them safely home. He hadn't abandoned them in Babylon. He went with them to the nations. And it was that understanding that God was there. He was present even while in exile. It was that that enabled Daniel to stand and to fight that assimilation of becoming someone he didn't want to become. So what for us? Well, we certainly live in a culture which we could call toxic that is increasingly at odds with our Christian faith. So I wonder where is your Babylon? where you feel abandoned by God. But let's make sure that we put the equal in the right place. God's people, Judah, His his special covenant people, doesn't equal our nation. It doesn't equal America. But rather, it is the church. It is we as God's people who have believed in Jesus, believed in the Messiah, who've been grafted into the vine of God's people. That's what John 15 says. We're grafted into that vine of the Lord's family like Daniel and like Judah. And we, the church, stand as a, in, as a, in a world full of the values of Babylon. And yet we stand firm as we are called and loved by the Lord. Where do you feel that challenge as you stand firm as God's child in a culture that is increasingly toxic to our faith? Do you feel perhaps assimilated in a work culture that values making more money and getting ahead at all costs? And it pushes against your values of wanting to be with your family. Perhaps you feel the pinch there. Who will I become? Do you wonder where God is to protect His people in a culture that looks like it's spinning out of control? God, where are you when we as your people stand for life among a culture of death? Why is all this happening? Why do we not prevail? Perhaps we wonder where the Lord is when our teens struggle with the pressures of a a multicultural world, challenging them to be changed into someone who doesn't reflect the values of the kingdom of God. Perhaps you feel your own Babylon when we try to protect our families from the destructive values of a me-first world. God, where are you? When will you show up? We have to remember God's answer to Daniel and to you and to me is that He is right here with us. 
Even in our Babylon, even in where we feel exiled, the Lord says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Open your eyes to see me standing with you. But not only do we learn that God is present among the nations, but He's also present with us personally. Personally present to guide us through the dark parts, the dark, the dark times in our lives. Remember, Daniel and his friends were saturated with the language and the literature and the, the astrology of Babylon, verse 5 says. They learned this culture so well that it says in verse 17, God gave them the wisdom. God gave them the knowledge. And in verse 20, Nebuchadnezzar says that these four were ten times better than his own advisors. The Lord certainly was present with them. Even as they learned the pagan ways and advised this this pagan king, the Lord was personally there with them. But there was one line they drew. Not to be assimilated, and it was in verse 8, it was with the food. It said, we're not going to eat the king's food or drink the king's wine because they didn't want to be defiled. Now, why draw the line there? Some people wonder if it had to do with the dietary restrictions of the Mosaic law and the kinds of meat that they were offered. But the Bible nowhere prohibits the drinking of wine except if they had taken a Nazarite vow. So it's not that. Others wonder if perhaps the king's food had been sacrificed to an idol. But why eat the vegetables if all the food had been sacrificed to an idol? And this certainly has nothing to do with the fad that's going around in our world today, the Daniel diet. You know, It has nothing to do with eating vegetables and you'll be far more healthy. In fact, Daniel and his friends gained weight. It said they got fatter by eating these vegetables. It's not a diet plan. So why draw the line at the food? They didn't draw the line at learning the language. They didn't draw the line at the literature, not even learning the mythology and the astrology that the king's court relied on for making decisions. That's really strange to me. They drew the line at food. And I think here's why. These courageous teens wanted to be clear that any health or any benefit that they enjoyed didn't come from the hands of the king of Babylon. If they ate his food, perhaps the king could say, See, I'm providing for these guys. See how they're growing. See how sharp their mind is. This is all my doing. I'm really the one who's providing for them. But Daniel said, No. If we have any physical strength, if we have any mental strength, it doesn't depend upon the king of Babylon, but rather it comes from the king of kings and the lord of lords. We are take not eating this food because we are dependent upon our God. We're not going to take the wealth and the comfort and the ease of this pagan king as if that is what makes us strong. Instead, verse 9 says, it was God who gave them favor. It was God who gave them life. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. So I ask you, how do you keep your eyes open to being dependent upon the Lord in all places of your life? It's really easy for the devil to deceive us when we feel independent of the Lord. As if we have all the strength and all the power and all the things that we need, we can provide it for ourselves. But Daniel here challenges us to keep our eyes open 
and recognize the truth that all we are and all that we have comes out of dependence upon the King of kings and Lord of lords. How do you keep your eyes open? What measures are you taking that you feel the dependence that is true of your life? This stand that these boys took could very well have cost them their lives. You know, it doesn't always turn out so well when we stand apart from the kings or stand apart from the culture's offers of comfort and ease and wealth. Sometimes in this world it just doesn't pay to be strange for God. These boys were essentially POWs without any rights, and yet the miracle was in how the Lord provided what Nebuchadnezzar could not. What a stand, what, what, what courage, what a trial. But friends, if we keep our eyes on Daniel and his friends, we've missed the point. And the point is that God is faithful. God is faithful to be present with His people, even when they're in exile, even when they're suffering. You see, sometimes you and I might feel abandoned by the Lord, but God uses our hardships. He uses our trials. He uses our struggles. He uses those places where we feel like we are exiled, all for the purposes that reach beyond us. God's purposes in this world through us and beyond us. Daniel and his friends undoubtedly suffered and they struggled, but the point was that God was on the throne. Even in Babylon, God was on the throne. And He would provide for them and use them in the midst of their struggle. And He'll do the same for you and for me. He will use us to point one another to His faithful presence when we can't see it on our own. Sometimes our struggle, sometimes our suffering is so deep that we have our eyes clouded and we can't see God's presence. We can't sense His faithfulness. And yet the Lord uses one another even at times of suffering and the struggles of one another, that we might see that God is faithful. See, sometimes our struggles really aren't about us. God wants us to prove His faithfulness to someone else who's suffering. How much poorer would our spiritual lives be if we didn't have this picture of a faithful God preserving Daniel and his friends when they suffered? We know that He will be with us because He was with them. One of the keys, friends, to remaining faithful to the Lord while in our own Babylon is to remember that our God is on the throne. He loves us. He provides for us. And He pursues us into our own Babylon. And He provides for us that we might live for Him. The refrain through this First chapter is the Lord gave. The Lord gave His people over to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 2. In verse 9, the Lord gave favor. Verse 17, the Lord gave wisdom and insight and learning. Friends, what we have a better glimpse of now on this side of the cross is that the Lord continued to provide. The Lord continued to give in giving us Jesus. See, God's pursuit of you and me took Him to take on flesh in a toxic culture, in a world that was on display as opposing the Lord, and it was no more clear than when the Lord Jesus walked those streets of Jerusalem with a cross on His back as people mocked 
and accused and spat upon Him as He made His way to the hill to be crucified for us. Where are you, God? He says, I'm right here beside you. I sent my own son to hang upon a cross to show you my deep love, my deep pursuit of you, and that also you might know that I sent my son as your substitute. My life for yours. My life in exchange for your guilt. My glory for your shame. The Lord gave favor. The Lord gave learning. And the Lord gave Jesus to rescue sinners like us. And friends, we will stand up for the Lord in humility when we first kneel at the cross where Jesus gave Himself for us. Do you feel assimilated? Pulled into becoming someone you don't want to become? Taking on the values of Babylon? Friends, remember that God is present right here with you right now. And He will give you strength to resist. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are so grateful that You have not abandoned us and You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And some of us this morning, Lord, are in deep in Babylon. We have lives that are fully in the grip of the values of this world and we can't manage to break free. So we pray, Father, that by Your power and Your strength, You would come after us. You would come and rescue us from our Babylon. And You would show us how much You love us and show us that You gave Your Son to free us from the grip of our Babylon and our sin. Open our eyes to see You and You at work. In Jesus' name, Amen.